Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. We have been in an incredible series called Just Jesus that began on Easter Sunday. I don't know about you, but this sermon series has been enriching, uplifting, and refreshing to my spirit. Anybody else? This has been an absolutely amazing series that we've been in. And uh, last week, Pastor Lyle spoke a masterclass of a message in the title of, I am scared and Jesus is napping. Did anybody get blessed by that? If you didn't watch it, I implore you after this service, go home and watch that message. Amen? A few weeks back, I was um, on paternity leave after the birth of our baby, Ezekiel, and I was on a prayer walk with my youngest son, uh, Zayden. And this particular morning, I, I made a very direct request to the Lord. I said, Lord, I need you to give me the word that you want me, that you want me to speak when I preach on May 29th. And it wasn't five minutes later that I began to receive an impression on my heart from the Lord that he wanted me to share from the topic, Jesus is love. Now, to be very transparent and honest with each and every single one of you, I became a little bit overwhelmed by the assignment that the Lord was giving me for this this morning. Because I realized how kind of polarizing, broad, and confusing the topic of love is in our culture right now. Furthermore, I think the phrase that Jesus is love has largely been reduced down to an everyday phrase that people absentmindedly use without fully understanding the weight of it. And without fully understanding the implications that the reality that Jesus is love has for us as modern-day believers. So I feel like my assignment this morning is twofold. Number one is to establish the reality that Jesus is love. Jesus doesn't just love. He is love. And the second thing is to help us realize that because we have been called to be his representative here, representatives here on earth, we have also been called to be love. Amen? So let's stand for the reading of the word. We're going to find our foundation scripture in 1 John, 4, 7, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, that this is a very familiar uh, verse of scripture for a lot of us. But one thing that I want to ask you as we dive into it this morning is to read it like it's your first time. Because how many of you know that familiar scriptures, God can breathe fresh revelation through? Amen? So let's read. One, two, three. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, yep, does not know God. Because what? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might what? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I'm asking 
that you would reveal Jesus to us this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Brian. Let's give it up for Brian Eggers. Man, I love Jesus. Does anybody else love Jesus? And I also, I love love. You know what I mean? I absolutely love a good love song or movie or story that just warms your heart and makes you feel all mushy-gushy inside. You know what I'm talking about? I love it. They are two of my favorite things in the whole wide world, Jesus and love. And in my other life, outside of church and working here at Legacy, um, as I like to call it, I write love songs. Usually they're about my fine wife or about my family. And I release them into the world. As a young artist, I felt the call of God uh, to begin writing songs about pure love because I felt like a lot of the teaching about love in our culture had been left to people and industries who really have no clue about it at all. And it mainly happens in the forms of music, movies, tabloids, and other forms of media. Like, if I see one more headline about Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson's relationship, I might actually lose my mind. Anybody else? You know what I mean. And I'm making jokes about this, but for real, the indoctrination about love through music, media, and other things has actually created a generation of people who, if you really dig down deep, think that love is simply an emotion that's felt or something that you fall in and out of, or maybe simply the act of being nice to somebody. And yes, that's it in part. But more than a song about love or a piece of media content, I think that, that what's missing in the world today is a revelation that the basis of all love is so much more than a feeling, emotion, or the niceness with which you treat somebody. Love is a man. And his name is Jesus. I love 1 John 4, verse 7 to 10, because it gives us a beautiful revelation into the identity of Jesus. God, who is love, from the boundlessness of his love, sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to be the manifestation of love here on earth. And because Jesus is God, we can boldly declare that Jesus is love. I love what Matthew Henry says uh, in his commentary about this verse of Scripture, this passage of Scripture. He says, search we the whole universe for love in its most glorious displays. It is to be found in the person and the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the personification of love. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Love is not simply a feeling or emotion. Love is a person. And when we say that Jesus is love, it's not some pretty poetry or play on words. This is a reality. This is who he is. Jesus is the best expression of God's love that humanity has ever had the privilege of experiencing. Therefore, if we would like to know what love looks like, what do we got to do? We got to look at Jesus. 
And this is also the reason why I lament the fact that we've allowed secular culture to chiefly inform and indoctrinate our generation about what love is. Jesus was sent here to the earth by God the Father to be the picture and example of love to humankind. Let me say it this way. Love sent love to show us love. Love sent love to show us love. Jesus is the very embodiment of love. There's no greater example than when he gave his life upon the cross for you and for me. I'm humbled every single time that I think about the love of Jesus and the fact that we get to be found in this love. This is the place that we get to live our lives from. And it's not based upon anything that we've done. It's not based upon who we are. It's not based upon our behavior, our actions, how much money we have, how much money we don't have, how much time we spend with them or not. It's simply and solely based upon who he is. Isn't this a beautiful reality? So for a few minutes, I want to explore Four qualities of Christ's love that jump out to me as I read the Bible. The first one is this. Christ's love is sacrificial. John 15 verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. Jesus dying on the cross for us was the single greatest act of sacrificial love that human history has ever known. No other God laid their life down for the ones they loved. No other God was bruised, beaten, and pierced for the ones they loved. And no other God was humiliated before all for the ones that they loved. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And what gets me every single time I think about the sacrificial love of Jesus is the fact that he had a choice. Thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, lying on the ground with tears of blood coming down his face, sweating drops of blood, petitioning the Father in that moment of humanity. If there's any way that this cup could pass for me, take it. But in the same breath, breath, realizing who he was, he said, but not my will, but yours be done. Christ's love is sacrificial. The second thing is this. Christ's love is boundless and it surpasses all knowledge. Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 19. This is Paul in his prayer for the church at Ephesus. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that what? Surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Family, this love that we're talking about this morning, it's confounding to the human mind. It surpasses all knowledge. 
No human mind can fully comprehend the greatness of Christ's love. But as we're yielded to the Spirit of God, he opens up our eyes to see in part how great his love really is. Christ's love is boundless and it surpasses all knowledge. The third thing is this, Christ's love is humble. His love is humble. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he did what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ's love is humble. And the fourth quality is Christ's love is transformational. So many times in scripture, when we see a sinner come into contact with this man of love, they would immediately taste and see that there is absolutely, positively nothing better and their lives would be transformed forever. A few examples of this we see. We see the woman at the well in John 4, when encountered by the man of love, was set free from the bonds of shame and separation from God. Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verse 1 through 9, when encountered by the man of love, he was compelled to give reparations to all those whom he had wronged and completely changed the way that he lived. Perhaps there's no experience more radical than when the apostle Paul encountered the man of love on the road to Damascus. This transformation would ultimately result in the gospel being spread to the ends of of the earth. Christ's love is transformational. I too am a living testimony of the transformational power of Christ's love. As a freshman at Oral Roberts University, in 2011, I went on a mission trip to Bimini, Bahamas. Yes, I was suffering for Jesus on the beach. It was hard. It was really hard. It was so hard that they ran out of things for us to do. (laughs) So they told us all to take shifts praying in the church. (laughs) And one day I was taking my shift and I was lying face down on the ground, crying out to the Lord, asking him to take away some things that I was struggling with. I had read books about how to get free from these things. I had prayed countless prayers of deliverance, and nothing seemed to work. Can anybody relate to that? Can anybody relate to the feeling of doing any and everything that you can to get free from chains that have you bound? But being unable to, it feels like nothing will work. But on that day, at Gateway Church in Bimini, Bahamas in May of 2011, as I lay face down before the Lord, I experienced something I had never experienced in my life before. And the only way that I could describe it 
is that it was like a mighty rushing river that swept over me. It was like rapids that swept over me in an overwhelming way. And I immediately knew that I had just had an encounter with the love of Jesus. Now listen, I grew up in a Christian home and I've been blessed with many encounters with the Lord, but that moment reshaped my life. And I can boldly declare today that I was set free from the chains that had me bound because of his love. Now I know that may sound crazy to some people in here, but let me tell you this, it's been 10 years since my encounter with love and my life has never been the same since. Christ's love is sacrificial. Christ's love is boundless and it surpasses all knowledge. Christ's love is humble and Christ's love is transformational. Now with the time that I have left, and since we've established the fact that Jesus is love, and we've explored these four qualities of love, I kind of want to take a turn real quick. And I want to shift the focus to the fact that in light of everything we've discussed, we have a call and a responsibility to be love on earth. My heart's desire is that each of you would feel the responsibility you have as a representative of Christ to show the world what love looks like. As I was on my walk with Zayden a few, back, few weeks back, I heard the Lord say, because Jesus is love and because we have been called to be Jesus' representatives, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, you can go look it up at home. We have an obligation and a mandate to be the embodiment of love here on earth. Amen. And there's two chief ways that I believe that God is calling us to embody his love on earth in the hour that we're currently living in. And the first way is this, by loving one another. By loving one another as believers. And I know that seems so simple, right? Let's go back to our foundation scripture in 1 John 4, verse 79. Beloved, let us what? Love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, lo does not love does not know God. Because what? God is love. Listen, John's not writing this to unbelievers. John's not writing this letter to unbelievers. John is, is writing this to believers who he actually had great concern for. Because he knew that one of the greatest threats to the gospel of Jesus Christ being spread to all of the earth was unbelievers not loving one another. And it begs the question to me, how can we expect a lost world to want to fall in love with the Jesus that we proclaim to represent when we can't even love each other well? Now, listen, loving each other does not mean that we don't hold one another accountable. It actually means the inverse. It means that when one of our brothers or sisters is operating in a way that's contradictory to the way that Jesus would live, we hold them accountable. In love. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When we operate like this, it becomes a witness to the world that Jesus is love. We have to be so intentional in our love towards one another because we have a heavenly assignment to be Jesus' embodiment of love here on earth, reconciling his lost ones back to himself. And that assignment is greater than anything that could come between us. The first way that God is calling us to be his embodiment of love here on earth is loving one another as believers. The second way is simple as well. Radically loving our neighbors. You know, in general, our generation has no problem expressing love for Jesus through things like worship or prayer. Would you agree? We don't have a problem with that. But what I think the Holy Spirit is saying to us in this hour is that our next level of maturity as a body is learning how to love our neighbor as much as we love Jesus. Now listen, whenever the Holy Spirit spoke that to me, I was like, hold up, wait a minute, Holy Spirit. I don't know about that. I thought that I was supposed to hate my, my mother and my father and my sister and my brother in light of my love for you. But what he did is he told me that loving and taking care of our neighbors is one of the greatest expressions of loving Jesus that we have on this side of heaven. And he took me to Matthew 25, verse 40. This is Jesus speaking about the final judgment. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you fed, clothed, cared for one of the least of these, you're doing it for me. You're doing it for me. When you were radically loving your neighbor, when you were inconveniently loving your neighbor, you're doing it to me. That's what Jesus is going to say to us on the final judgment day. That's what he's going to say to us. And can I be transparent with y'all? Is that okay? Is that okay? I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I have a tendency to try and negotiate my way out of the inconvenience of loving people. I'm sorry. I must admit. I guess I'm the only one. I'm the only one. It's self-disclosure with Brian's high. For me, sometimes it looks like finding more work to do for God. So that I'm able to justify, justifiably say, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy to stop for my neighbor who needs their tire changed. Can't do it alone. I'm just too busy, God, to, to, to bring this family who just lost a loved one dinner. I'm, 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 just, I'm just too busy. And, and, and God, it's because I'm preparing for the worship set next week. God, that's why I'm doing it. Lord, you understand, right? I'm sorry. It's just self-disclosure with Brian. And I've realized that most of the time, it's easier to do work for God than getting in the dirt with people. So I want to take you to one last passage of Scripture, which to me gives the best example of what it looks like to radically love our neighbor. Is that okay? Is that okay? Are we all together? Good. Amen. Luke 10, verse 25 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
I'm just going to summarize uh, a, number of the, a number of the verses before we jump into it. So an expert in religion comes to Jesus to test him. And he asks him the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Understanding that this is, in fact, a test and not from the sincerity of the man's heart, Jesus answers a question with a question. Jesus is a G. You got to realize that. You have to realize that, like, after reading, this, after reading the gospel, Jesus is on another level. He's on another level. So he asks the man, so, hmm, what does the law of Moses say? And the man answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you got it. Now go and do this. But the lawyer wasn't done. How many of you have met people when you're in an argument with them, they just don't know when to quit? Like, they just don't quit. It's like, the argument's done, sir. But verse 29 says that he wanted to justify himself to Jesus. Mm. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's when Jesus goes all Jedi master on him. And he's like, young Padawan, let me tell you a story. A Jewish man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Let's stop right there. I don't know about you, but if I was wounded or in a vulnerable state where I needed help, Besides an EMT or a certified doctor, one of the first people that I would want to see is a man of God who could help me or help me get help. Am I right? And when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, an administrator of ministry to the Lord, a worship leader. The second person that I want to see is a worship leader. Right? When the worship leader had come to the place and saw the wounded man, he too passed by on the other side. Now, reading this parable, every single time that I read it, it breaks my heart. Because what Jesus is implying here is that these representatives of God, who by all accounts we would expect to show love and compassion to this man who was in dire need of help, passed him by. The Bible doesn't tell us why they passed the man by. But if I'm looking at my own life as someone who is in professional ministry, I can't help but to think that they had some important business to do at the temple. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now let's stop right there. Why does it matter that Jesus inserts this Samaritan man into this story on how to love your neighbor? 
Because the very mention of a Samaritan to this Jewish audience would have triggered centuries of hatred and anger. The Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. They were vehement enemies. This hatred towards, towards one another was 500 plus years old. It's hard to even equate the hatred that the Samaritans and the Jews had for one another with anything that we've seen in human history. Yet Jesus decides to use this Samaritan man as the heroic example of what it looks like to radically love your neighbor. Obviously, Jesus is trying to show us something. He's trying to show us a way of loving that is contrary to all of our human instinct. So what did the Samaritan man do for the wounded Jewish man? He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, why does the mention of two denarii matter? Because that was enough wages to take care of the wounded man for two months. This is costly love. This is expensive love. On top of that, the Samaritan man lets the innkeeper know that anything that you spend extra over the money I just gave you, when I come back, I'm going to repay you. This is boundless love. Through this parable, Jesus is breaking down so many barriers that exist in love that isn't founded in him. And he's showing us what it looks like to radically love our neighbor. It doesn't matter if we agree with our neighbor on everything. It doesn't matter if we have the same cultural norm as our, as our neighbors. It doesn't matter if we live the same lifestyle as our neighbor. It doesn't even matter if we believe the same things. What matters is that we have a call to be representative, representatives of Jesus' love on earth by radically loving our neighbors. So let's get practical for a moment. How can we go out of here today and radically love our neighbors? The first thing is this. We got to be open to disruption. And we got to be open to being inconvenienced. We can't allow our lives to be so tightly wound that there's no room for God to love the world through us. The second thing is this. We got to be ready for the practical costs that it's going to take to accompany radical love. It's going to be expensive. Loving this way will cost money, but I'm not just talking about money. Sometimes it's going to cost us our time. And sometimes it's going to cost us our energy. And the final thing is this. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to break down walls of prejudice and prejudgment that practically inhibit us from loving our neighbor. I'm talking about loving the ones who are weird. The people who are weird. Like the barista in East Nashville who, you don't know if it's a he or a she. 
I'm talking about the ones who don't have the same world view, view as us. I'm talking about the people who didn't vote the same as us. I'm talking about the people who, 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 when we walk by them, they can't do anything for us. We've got to be dis- open to disruption. We've got to be able to be inconvenienced. We've got to be ready for the practical cost that it's going to take to accompany this radical love that God is asking us to operate in. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to break down walls of prejudice and prejudgment. Jesus, would you help us do this? Jesus, would you help us do this? Jesus, we want to be your representatives here on this earth. Would you help us do this? Let's stand. We hear what you're saying to the church, Holy Spirit. We hear what you're saying today. Let us not be found as those who don't respond, God. Let us not be found as those, Lord Jesus, who don't change our ways, Lord Jesus. We discussed a lot in this message. And I think there's two invitations to respond that the Holy Spirit is presenting before us today. The first is going back to the fact that Jesus is love. My question to some people in this room is, do you need to have an encounter with the love of Jesus today? Maybe you haven't even given your life to Jesus. And you want to make today the day that you give your life to Jesus. I'm just going to ask those two people, if you need an encounter with the love of Jesus, or you want to give your life to Jesus, would you just come down to the altar? Would you just come down to the altar? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If that's you that today and you need this, just go ahead and come down to the altar. If our prayer team will come forward, if our prayer team will come forward, we want to pray with you today. We want to pray with you today. If that's you, thank you, my brother. Thank you, my brother. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.